developing a brand new series right now this morning that's going to take us on through the fall. And uh, I am just super excited about what the Lord wants to do through this series. Um, It is going to be a series primarily based on marriage and child rearing and biblical sexuality, but we want to start out by talking to our singles and addressing them. And this series is going to deal with everything from, uh, you know, a foundation of what marriage is, the theology of marriage. We're going to deal with how God, today we'll talk about what God thinks about singles and what singleness is and the purpose of singleness. We'll be talking about biblical sexuality. So I just want to give you a couple heads up here before we get rolling into our sermon for today. We're going to do some things that are a little bit abnormal for our normal Sunday morning gatherings. Normally we do communion on these Sunday gatherings, but this is going to be a lot more teaching kind of classroom style. So I want to be able to do Q&A. So the front end of our times together are going to be primarily lecture. And at the back end where we would normally do communion, we'll have that very long, uncomfortable silence where we give opportunity for questions. And everybody just sits there like they're stone cold dead. And then finally, somebody, some brave soul raises their hand and asks a good question. And that usually gets it rolling. And then we'll close out with a couple more songs and, and go about our way. So we'll see how the Q&A goes. If you, if you are shy and don't want to ask your question out loud, write it down, just raise your hand, and Matt or somebody in here will come and get the question from you, and then I'll read it out loud. So begin to ask the questions. And through the course of these next weeks and months, be coming up with questions that you have about anything that has to do with singleness, biblical dating slash courting, anything that has to do with Uh, marriage and how marriage works, anything that has to do with sex. We should have a lot of good questions about sex, and I I just can't wait to see who's actually going to ask their sex questions in public. It's going to be awesome. Now that I've totally singled you out, great. Okay, Uh, and then we're going to talk about raising babies, raising raising babies according to the Bible, and that's going to be sessions on on child rearing. So with that said, one other thing that I want to say before we get into this series Uh, is that some of these sessions for you parents, I want to make you aware, it's not in the name of being crass or just drawing a crowd, but some of these sessions will indeed have PG-13 content. In the sense that if you are a parent of a a child who is maybe 13 and under, uh, you need to be discerning. I would like you to email me and I can tell you what some of the content will be in some of these sessions. In fact, Don't miss next Sunday because there may be some PG-13 in next Sunday's session. If you want to know the details of that, I'm trying to get that out to all of you so that you can email me and say, okay, what are you going to be talking about up there? I'm not sure that I want my precious little baby's ears to be dispurified or whatever. Uh, They won't be, I promise you. Everything that we're going to talk about is in the Bible. Uh, Everything that we're going to talk about is very practical. uh, And it needs to be talked about in this setting. I'm just so tired of Christians kind of sweeping things under the carpet and ignoring major issues. There's unhealthy sex lives. There's unhealthy marriages because we just kind of turn a a pseudo holy eye against things that need to be talked about, that need to be addressed. So next week during biblical courting, we're going to be talking about some of those issues. Parents, please email me. Let me know uh, what you need to know. And I will let you know what the content is. If you're not comfortable with it, that's fine. Just be sure to have your child either stay home or serve and taproot kids that day with Alfonso and the guys. With all of that said, after we finish up Two Little Birdies, we're going to take the front end of 2013 and we're going to go through the book of Zechariah, a series entitled Sovereign God, looking at apocalyptic literature. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be about a 16-week series that will put us into the summer. 
haven't decided what we're going to do this summer yet. Probably some talking about who we are, what mission is, what evangelism is. And the beginning in the fall, we're going to start the Gospel of Mark in 2013. So we've got a good map in front of us. The scriptures are going to be feeding us. But for the time being, you guys ready to rock two little birdies for the next couple months? All right, good. It's good serving a church that loves the Bible. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are gracious with us and you love us and you have designed all sorts of wonderful relationships for us to be engaged in. These relationships are to draw us closer to you to heal our hearts. Today, I ask you that you would move in this place by your Holy Spirit. For our beloved singles, whom there are so many in this church, that today they would come to that place of peace that if idols are driving them, they would repent of worshiping false gods and that their hearts would be lifted up into your presence. For the married couples in here, I pray, God, that we would invite singles into our lives, that we would take young and old, those who have not another intimate partner with them, Lord, that we would bring them into our home, love them. And for the singles, Father, I pray that they would engage in service in this church, that they would watch the marriages of this church, that they would be engaged in discipleship. And Lord, for the many young couples in this church that are dating, as we call it in our culture, they're, they're kind of feeling each other out. They're figuring this out. Should they be together? Have you brought them together? I pray that these coming sessions, the next two or three sessions would impart to them great grace and you would move in their midst uh, with wisdom and practical instruction in Jesus name. Amen. So for our session today, we're going to start out by talking about one little birdie. Because when there are two little birdies sitting in a tree, they both began as one. And the issue of singleness, the topic of singleness is greatly needed uh, to be discussed and addressed within the church. And here's why. The current stats between 2007 and 2010 say that there are anywhere between 94 million to 100 million Americans that are currently single. Seattle, Manhattan, San Francisco, L.A., these large urban hubs are made up primarily of single people, almost cut right down the middle. So the old school way of life where the young people graduate and they go off and get married, that's not what's going down anymore within our cities, within our culture. So we are surrounded by singles. Now, those singles are 60% single by divorce, according to one of the statisticians that I was reading, 40% by choice. And this isn't only a Western phenomenon. This isn't only a United States phenomenon. This is a worldwide worldview change in the way that humanity is living out the rest of its days. We see in progressive countries, modernized countries, that the norm now is singleness. And that marriage, the institution of marriage, is progressively losing ground. Now, Western sociologists and American sociologists, depending on which ones you're talking to, most of them across the board would say that the institution of marriage is not going to end. It is still considered by our culture the epitome of commitment and the arrival at maturity. And so most young singles, young singles, I say, are still looking forward to that moment of marriage. Marriage is not being put on the wayside. But suffice it to say, singleness is the norm and singleness is the state of our culture. And so what I wanted to talk about this morning was singles and their false gods, what the Bible calls idols. All of us have sources of joy. All of us have sources of security. 
All of us have sources of identity that are not God himself. And the Bible calls these sources of joy or identity or security, these false sources of joy and identity and security, the Bible calls these idols. They're false gods. And singles tend to have their own set of false gods. And we're going to talk about two facets of singles. Singles within the culture. And when I refer to the culture, I'm just talking about the general milieu, the general spread of humanity. Singles that are surrounding us day in, day out. When you go to work tomorrow, surrounded by these singles that are within the culture. And the particular false gods that these singles, some of you in this room, find your identity in. Some of us find our identity and our security and our joy and our peace and our means and our purposes in these idols of independence within the culture. The second place I want to talk about idols within singles in particular is within the church. But we'll start here with singles and their false gods within the culture. And as I survey, now none of this is based on sociological data. So for all of you scientists and empiricists in this room, listen, this is all anecdotal. This is straight out of Braga's head. So just deal with it. It's just the way it is. But I think I could back it up with some good sociological data if I had to. So here we go. As I look at the lay of the land as a good missiologist, as somebody who studies the culture to figure out how to get Christ to the culture, one of the primary idols that rises out of singles in our culture is this idol of independence. My identity is I am independent. I am joy-filled when I am independent. I am more secure if I am independent. And the culture and singles therein raise this idol of independence, this God of independence to a level of security and joy and peace that takes them away from the true and living God. Why? Why is independence such a valuable, such a worshipful, such an important facet of being single and being identified as somebody who is right in the culture that we live in. We asked the question one. I want to give you four answers as you can see there. Number one, we see that the cultural values through time have shifted extremely. There has been this massive evolving of what the general culture values as important. And it has continued to shift as humanity itself has reached ever-increasing points of independence, one from another, and autonomy. Autonomy means separateness, separate authority over oneself. And so let me give you just kind of a, a brief historical survey of how culture has transformed and shifted our values. When we first came to the United States as immigrants... We were primarily an agricultural culture, meaning we had to go out and farm for our food, which meant we were interdependent upon one another in the most dependent ways. Farmers and their wives had to work together and they had to have many children to make the farm successful so that they could feed their faces. So we began as an agricultural culture and our primary means was survival. And survival required that we depended on one another. Then came the Industrial Revolution. And with the Industrial Revolution, we saw machines and metal beginning to do the work that men and women would normally do on their crops to bring gain and to bring food. And the Industrial Revolution slowly saw women take a different role as farmhand to wife at home now where she would be taking care of the home while the man would go off to work in the production lines. And that culture's values were all about production and gain. And then came www.com. With the internet, we began to enter into this new revolution of cultural reality called the technological culture. 
where now everything is about innovation and information. Everything is about data transfer. And what we have seen is that in the technological culture, women have changed their roles and have shifted their place in the culture. In an agricultural culture or in the productive culture of the industrial age, we saw that women's primary place was in the home, taking care of the children while dad would go off and provide for the family. Slowly this shift, beginning in the 60s with the feminist movement, which had a lot of good things about it, by the way, slowly this shift has begun to happen to where we find ourselves now here today in 2012, where women have shifted their role in the culture. Therefore, what we see is women can be the primary providers. Women are the CEOs of these massive Fortune 500 companies. Women, statistically speaking, are getting faster and better degrees, more degrees than their husbands. Women are taking the role of leadership. Women are taking the role of production. Women are taking the role of lead in the culture. It's important as we look at these lists here to note that I am not placing a negative or a positive spin on any of these reasons. Some of them are neutral. Some of them are negative. Some of them are positive. So why does our culture so value independence? Number one, this value shift. We now value information and innovation. And innovation in a lot of ways requires the singular mind. So as the value has shifted, we see that independence has risen to the top as one of our identity markers. Number two, role change, particularly in women. Particularly in women. Women no longer are graduating high school and saying, you know what, I can't wait to find my man and get married. They're saying, I better get my master's, get my life together, because most of my guy friends are still playing Xbox at the age of 25. So I've got to do something with myself to take care of myself. And sure enough, culturally, they are surpassing us. Young gentlemen, just very quickly, I'm your pastor. I love you more than anything, but listen, boy, you got to grow up. Boy, you got to be a man. If there's something that I want young Christian men to embrace, it is their leadership role within their relationships and that men would be men. Number three, This idol of independence has arisen because as I look at it and as I do counseling amongst young singles often, they're looking at their parents and they're saying, I don't want to get married because my parents' marriage sucked. In fact, they're not together anymore. What's the point? Most of us in this room, or statistically speaking, half of us come from divorced homes. And it's a reasonable step. It's a reasonable decision to look at that and say, you know what? My parents' marriage was a train wreck and it ended up ending anyway. I'm not even going to get into that game. I'm just going to go away from it. And independence will be my identity, my freedom. And then finally, number four, again, this is anecdotal, but I think it plays a big part in all this. Our culture has radically redefined what a relationship is and how relationships can be ordered. The dating culture moved into the hookup culture. And the hookup culture was get into the bars, have sex, and then get to know somebody. From the hookup culture, we've entered into a realm of relational definitions that are so far from what we knew in the 40s, 50s, and 60s that it's like Mars and Venus. We have swingers. We have open relationships. We have poly marriages. We have marriages to poodles. We have, I mean, you can just run down the list of how our culture wants to define relationships because with this idol of independence, we have begun to say, I independently define what my relationships will be, how they will be ordered and what they will look like. And there's this fierce worship of independence. And it's kind of this reciprocal circle. You have the redefinition of relationships which fuels, I'm going to define my own relationship, which redefines the relationships, evermore this increasing idol of independence governing the singles. 
with that independent idol driving the singles, a lot of times what you'll hear in culture is, man, I just don't want to be tied down. Man, my parents' marriage was a failure. I don't want to get married. You know what? My role is not to get married and to raise children. My role is to lead a Fortune 500 C. I want to be CEO of a company. And, and again, remember, listen to me carefully. I'm not spinning these things negatively. I'm not spinning these things positively. I'm just giving you a, a reflection on what our, where, where our culture is at. You'll hear increasingly amongst young men a real fear of commitment, either out of laziness and apathy, because it takes a lot of work to commit to a girl and take care of her, or just out of cowardice. Just straight up fear. And in young women, you see this, uh, this desire to go and see the world and do what they want to do before they get tied down. This drives our culture, and this is what we see. Now, for us, we're at church here, so why, why are we even having this discussion? Why is this important for you guys to know? Why am I even giving you this information? And I'd say for two reasons. Number one, culture is like a fishbowl. All of us are swimming around in it, and we're all surrounded in the same water. And whether you recognize it or not, you are being influenced by what the culture values. You are absorbing, whether you, in, whether you recognize it or not this morning, you are absorbing what our culture says is right and how our culture makes its decisions and what our culture values. We as the church, and even as believers in this room, we are absorbing all of that, taking that in, saying, okay, this is how I'm going to determine my decisions. If you can be made aware that some of these factors are influencing you, it can give you perspective as young people saying, okay, why am I single? Why do I value independence? Have I made it a God in my own life above Jesus Christ and his will for me? Have I devalued marriage? Have I made independence my fierce identity versus marriage to Jesus Christ? So number one, it helps us as believers in this room, if you're currently a believer, to discern, all right, am I making my decisions based on biblical values or cultural values? But number two, and this is just as important, those of you that I know in this room, each of you love your friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers, and you want to see them love Jesus. But part of the problem with the church is we are so disconnected from the culture. It's like we come in as Christians, as believers, to explain Jesus to somebody, and it's like we're speaking Japanese. We use all this language with all this Christianese and all this stuff in it, and they're just like, Hale, what? Pray to who? What's God? Trinitarian? Who? What? Huh? Weird? No, sorry. Uh-uh. But if you guys can have these kind of perspectives, if you can begin to understand, wow, this is what's driving my friend to stay single. This is what makes my friend run from commitments. When she's at your house at night, bawling her eyes again because the last guy used her again, dumped her again, you can begin to express to her, hey, let's talk about some of your values. And this becomes a discipleship thing where you can empathize and love the people around you and understand the fishbowl that they're swimming in and give them kind of some life rafts to be pulled out of that. All good on that, guys. That's uh, that's a 40,000-foot overview of, of singles within culture and one of the primary idols that drives them. Let's go to the next one. Singles and their false gods within the church. Idols of dependence. If the culture is creating idols of independence, and the culture says, I will be free, I will be alone, I will do my own thing, then the church has done the exact reverse. The church has created within the community of singles an idol of dependence. The church has created through its teaching and through the way that marriage is presented 
this idea or this false notion that if you're single, you're less than whole. You're less than holy. Now, the church, of course, has not done this on purpose, but the church nonetheless has created this kind of mentality among single people that marriage is really when you've arrived. Marriage is really where you need to be. And if you're single, well, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you about that. When are you going to get married? We need to repent of that. We need to move away from that. Let me give you some reasons why this has happened. Always get to the underneath of everything, folks. Always push your minds to ask the question, why? Before you just start giving answers. Why, 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 why? Within the church, the church has created idols of dependence in this way. God bless us, pastors. We're good guys, most of us, and we really do love you. But we've overreacted in some ways to the culture. Because the culture is radically redefining relationships... Because we're now voting on the nature of marriage because our culture says we need to independently decide what marriage is versus let's listen to what God says marriage is. Because of these things, the church and the pastors therein have reacted and they've said, you know what, we've got to teach on marriage. That's why we're doing this series. This series came about about a year and a half ago because we had young couples like crazy, getting married, babies are being born. I'm like, we better teach on the Bible what it says about courting, dating, being single, having babies. And here we are a year later doing this. Some of the Front-end thinkers and leaders of contemporary Christendom are writing their books. John Piper, Tim Keller, I highly recommend The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, Driscoll just put out one called Real Marriage. The, the church leaders and thinkers are recognizing that the culture around us is redefining relationships. So we, as kind of a knee-jerk reaction, are saying, we better teach on marriage. We better get this right. And in some ways, there has been a right reaction. We do need to teach. We do need to make disciples in this way. We do want you to understand what the Bible says. We do want you to be aware of what the culture says. But that's not the only facet of teaching on marriage. We have to not neglect, number two, not neglect singles in this teaching. So what happens to singles, especially if you're a baby believer in here, that means you're a new believer, you've come in here, you're single, your friend invited, you're like, man, I want to know Jesus is over the next three months, every Sunday, you're going to be hearing about marriage. And slowly but surely, not to any fault of mine, and not really to any fault of yours, because you're in this absorption of marriage teaching, you begin to think, boy, if I'm a good Christian, I better figure out how to get married. Because all we talk about is marriage. So there's this subtle overreaction. Hence, sermon number one. For those of you that are bringing friends to this over the next coming months, please refer them back to this sermon, which actually is not getting recorded. And so we're, it might be being recorded, praise God. We've had some technological difficulties this morning. Number two, there's been this neglect in the teaching. This is why guys like Keller are so great. We're going to have a bookstore that should be up and going here in the next couple weeks with book resources for you that I've resourced over the years. But there cannot be a neglect in teaching on singleness in the midst of marriage series. And in some contexts, in the general teaching of the church, there has been a neglect of teaching on singleness within the midst of marriage. And so it's kind of developed this singleness is not a good thing. Number three, marriage is a good thing. And what we as idolaters do is we take a good thing and we make it a God thing all the time. We take good things like relationships and friendships and fellowship and marriage, and we make it the thing that will identify us. It's a false god of dependence. Many singles fall prey to the lie. They begin to worship this idol that says, if I just have my husband, then I'll really have arrived. Then I'll really be happy. Many young men within Christendom, they begin to say, if I just get my wife, then I'll really be a man of God. Then I'll really be moving forward the way that I should be. 
And we take a God thing and we turn it into, or a good thing and we turn it into a God thing as idolaters. And number four, the church produces this idol of dependence because we undervalue the eternal purpose of marriage. This lines up with good things becoming a God thing, but singles begin to look at marriage as the end of all things. I can just get to that place. If I just get there, then I've arrived. No, the truth is marriage is temporary. You know, I love my wife dearly. Our relationship is maybe in the sweetest spot it has been in the 11 years of our marriage. We are the best of friends. We have an amazing life together. And both of us know that it's a twinkling of an eye before we face Jesus. Singles, if you can begin to see that marriage is not the end of all things, but if you can value watching good, healthy marriages saying, wow, that's a picture of Jesus, how he loves me. Wow, that's a picture of how, how I submit to Jesus. If you begin to see the eternal purpose of marriage, it'll put it in its proper place and it'll cause your jets to kind of cool on getting married as fast as you want to get married. So... Singles and their false gods. Within the culture, culture has changed. Therefore, one of the driving gods in our culture is this God of independence. Check your hearts. See what's guiding you. Listen to your friends and family members. See if their life is miserable due to worshiping this God of independence. Coach them through that to a, the true dependable God, Jesus. Singles and their false gods within the church. We've created this idol of dependence by overreacting, neglecting the singles and teaching. Idolatry, good things becoming God things, and then undervaluing the eternal purpose. So let's get to what the Bible says about singleness. Singleness and the true God. Singleness and the true God. I'm going to give you four slides here, and then we're going to wrap up, and then we're going to do Q&A. So please be writing down your questions, and we can, we can have some good Q&A time here at the end of this. Number one, what does the Bible and Christianity have to say about being single? Number one, God says singleness is good, period. God says singleness is good. Quick little story. When I was first born again, I came out of a life of, of uh, promiscuity, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. I mean, the whole way. And I, I lived it hard and long and fast. And so when I first became a believer, I was introduced to this whole church world and uh, never thought I would get married. You know, I was immature in the gospel, so I thought, you know, God will strike me dead if I even look at one of his little church girls. And so I just avoided the whole idea of marriage. And I started going to these college groups and me being as naive as I was, I thought college groups were groups of college single people who were going to study the Bible. What I discovered is they were Christian meat markets. They just, they were like, like Christian dating scenes. And, and I would show up and, and all of these young Christian men would be there and all they could talk about there is their wives. And, and they all looked like they were in a house burning down when they started talking about getting married. I, I see her and I think that she might be the one and I need to ask her, if, should I marry her? And they just would have this like focus. And then of course, all the little girls were walking around like puppies, just wagging their tails at any single guy that would walk by. And, and I just, I looked at the whole thing. I was like, I thought we were here to study the Bible. And they'd all cock their eyebrow at me like, what's the matter with you? Study the Bible? We're here to get married, right? They acted like singleness was sickness. They were all praying for each other. Here, let me lay hands on you and cure you of your singleness. We'll get you married soon. And it just, honestly, it just, it confused me greatly. Because they had begun to believe the lie, completely opposite of what the Bible says, that singleness is actually very good. In fact, if you look through the history of religions, take note on this. If you look through the history of religions, most religions lift and exalt marriage to a place of extra holiness, 
uh, of extra rightness with the God that that religion calls you to serve. Christianity is the first and only within historical worldwide religions, religious system that actually exalts singleness on par with marriage. Christianity and the history of world religions as they've come and gone, some that still exist amongst us today, is the only one that is actually said about being single. Not only is this good, it's beneficial. Not only is this good, it's, it's, it's great for you to be single. It's a good thing. God wants you to be single. And in some cases, God would prefer that you be single. How do we know this? I'll give you the primary example. When God wanted to reveal himself to you, he did not reveal himself as a married man. He revealed himself as a single. Jesus Christ, despite what the movies and the cheesy books, Da Vinci Code and the Gnostic Gospels say, was never married. Jesus Christ was a single man his whole life. He lived purely and holy. And so when God wanted to send to us the perfect representative of us, the perfect example of wholeness in humanity, the perfect example and the perfect life of perfection and holiness in humanity, Jesus was single. Singles... Take note on that today, that you today as a single, because of Christ in you, are perfect, you are whole, you are complete. You're not in a house burning down, trying to get out of there so you can get married. You are in a peaceful, restful place with the king of the universe, who himself chose to reveal himself as single. Number two. The primary foundational block in the New Testament of church planters was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was single as well. Now, it's very possible that Paul had been single before and his wife had left him. Paul was a member of a council in the ancient Jewish councils called the Sanhedrin Council. And the Sanhedrins required that they would be married. And so it's very possible that Paul in his zeal as a Jew, got married, rose up through the Jewish ranks, he becomes a believer. And like some of you, his wife, his husband is not a believer. Her husband is not a believer. And she says, you and this Jesus thing, you've gone off the deep end, Paul. I'm out of here. In fact, the passage that we're in, we're not going to deal with it today. In 1 Corinthians 7 says, if you have an unbelieving wife or an unbelieving husband who says, you know what, you and your Christianity can take a walk. I'm out of here. Paul says, it's all right. Let him go. It's very possible that this is why Paul was single, but we do know that he was indeed single and he was single for the remainder of his life from the writing of the New Testament and the planting of all the churches throughout Asia Minor. Paul was single and he never made it a pursuit to get married. He devoted his life to serving Jesus Christ as a single. So read with me here in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 7 where we have the very clear admonition from God where he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, he's writing to the Corinthian church. They had questions for him and he's answering these questions. He says, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And then he goes on and talks about the conjugal rights within marriage. We're not going to get into it today. And this is why next Sunday may be a little bit PG 13, but the biophysical mechanics of sexuality, the appetite of sexuality, we'll be getting way into that way in depth in about two months. But the fact of the matter is Paul says it's actually good. It is actually good. If you can live a life single, not having sexual relations with a partner that you would live your life that way. He says, that's a good thing. He says, fellas, lo and behold, at the age of 22, I know you think you're going to die, but you won't die if you don't have sex. I promise you, you're going to make it. And you could make it your whole life without dying, not having sex. I realize some of you right now are weeping. You're just crying your eyes out. But the truth is, 
Paul says, for some, it will be good that this is the case. If you skip with me over to uh, verse 8, Paul makes it also very clear there that it is good to remain single. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now, I'm going to flesh that out a little bit. What's important here, where we don't want the pendulum to swing too far, is now everybody says, oh, marriage, that's a bad thing. That was a first century heresy where there were actually teachers that were getting up saying you shouldn't be married. It's actually more holy to be single. No, 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 no. Singleness, marriage, Jesus. That's the way it works. And within Christendom, singleness and marriage are ordered by sovereign Jesus, and they are both equally valuable, equally good, equally beneficial. So we can't swing the pendulum too far to the other side. But he does indeed say here in 1 Corinthians 7, later on, in light of the coming of Jesus and the problems that Christianity is facing and the growth of the church, it's good for you to remain single. Why does he say that it's good for people to remain single? We'll pick up in verses 32 through 35 to give you just a brief example or brief reasoning why right now if you're single it's actually good in verses 32 through 35 which were already read for us for the sake of time i'm not going to read it again paul talks about how being single actually gives you a great freedom from anxieties and the things of the world and it also gives you the opportunity to focus on holiness and the things of the lord He describes the unmarried woman who's able to focus on holiness in her body as she devotes herself to jesus he describes the man who, if he is single, is actually freed from the anxieties and the things of this world. And what he's referring to in particular is a wife. It's very practical to think in this way. And you need to see through this lens that you are freed from certain anxieties that married people have to deal with. In my, in my own life, before I got married, I, I just was a straight-up wild child no matter what I was doing. So I was a bungee jumper. I was a downhill ski racer. I was parachuting out of airplanes. This was my, my life. And then I got married and I married a beautiful woman and suddenly there was an anxiety in me. I would be strapping the bungee cord on, Perrine Bridge. And, and, and the next thing I'd be thinking is, you know, if I hurt my back here, uh, I'm not going to be able to provide for my wife. What and there was this like anxiety. No longer was I free from anxiety. And, and so I'm, I'm downhill skiing with my buddies in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And, and rather than just being able to blaze that super G turn, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If my leg collapses under me and I become a paraplegic, how am I going to... I'm anxious about my wife. And so I was robbed of these freedoms. I was... That sounds really bad. That sounded terrible. <laughs> Oh, I was not robbed. Come here, mama. I will be paying for that for days. God graciously matured me, brought me into an awareness of who he is and who my wife is. I was made anxious in a glorious and holy way for my wife. Then I started having kids. You guys want to know what happened to me when I started having kids? I quit speeding and I started stopping at stop signs. <laughs> so I was like, there's a reason for those. They protect us and I've got kids that I need to worry about. Brothers, listen, let me tell you the truth. If you're single right now, I, I know you, you know me as young single men. And if you're an older single man, dude, we can sleep in a tent, in a sleeping bag, in the middle of nowhere, and be just fine. We can eat top ramens and microwave burritos and be just fine with our lives, right? 
after you get married, you start getting anxious about how are you going to provide? How are you going to take care of things? And, and there's all these things that you didn't realize as a young single man that you have to worry about. Did you guys know that from like October to November to December to January to February to March, that's not just change of like sports. You actually have to change like the pillows on your couch and the candles have to change colors. And there's all sorts of stuff that you didn't realize that you need to start worrying about. Because if you put out the wrong candles, you are in huge trouble at Christmas. Little brother, you are free from that right now. And <laughs> man, this is going bad. I got to get out of here. Lord, rescue this, please. Number two, though, in all seriousness, and I want you to hear this, holy soul. You are, you are right now in this season of your life as a single, you are able to entirely focus on Jesus. And I think that this is maybe where the church has failed you the greatest the sweet taste of Jesus Christ, his presence, the fullness of relationship with him, to have him, to hold him, to know him, to worship him. There is no distraction in your life right now. And this is not bragging. I think I was a unique case of grace that God just needed to really get a hold of me. In those days of going to those singles events when I was a baby Christian, it's very true about me that I literally, they would all say, Danny, come on, we're all going here. We're going here. And and. It wasn't out of arrogance. It wasn't out of pride. I would literally say, you know, I think I'm going to stay home and read my Bible. And they would all cock their eyebrow at me like, what is the matter with you? And, and I just, there was, in those early days with Jesus, there was just nothing sweeter than sitting in my room and reading these passages. I was foreordained before the foundation of the earth to know him. There was no girlfriend saying, come with me to do this. There was no buddy dragging me down the road to do this. It was me and Jesus Christ. And, and precious single, if you can grab hold of that in this season, it will become not a drudgery, not a season of agony, but it may be the time where God makes himself most revealed to you. Some of the sweetest, highest, loftiest places of joy may come in this season of singleness as you are able to entirely focus your time and your will and your prayer and your reading and your growth into him. Don't waste that. Now, number two, singles in the true God. God says singleness is good, but number two, we see that God gives singleness as a gift. And we can go to that next slide. God gives singleness as a gift. There in verse seven of first Corinthians chapter seven, Paul says this peculiar little statement I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So we see that God can give to certain individuals singleness as a spiritual gift. Later on, or actually I suppose, yeah, later on in the gospel of Mark and Matthew, which were written after 1 Corinthians, the recorders of Jesus' words, Jesus would tell of eunuchs. Eunuchs that were made so by the culture around them, literally physically made eunuchs. Eunuchs that were made so by their own choice and eunuchs that were made so for the sake of the kingdom. But Jesus prefaces all those statements about eunuchs by saying, there are those that this will be given to. They will receive this as a gift. And so there is the spiritual gift of being single. And I want to make a differentiation here between a gift and duty, a gift and duty. So let me give you some examples to kind of flesh this out a little bit. The New Testament gives to us in the book of Ephesians the gift of evangelism. There are those, and you know who they are, 
you go someplace public with them, and before you know it, they're just in a crowd of people, and they're just talking about Jesus, and the crowd around them is, ha, 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 Jesus, this, we love Jesus, and, and they're just dragging people into the Sunday gathering and dragging people into their missional community, and they're just so comfortable. They have this evangelistic gift. They just kind of vibe there. Then there's the rest of us where evangelism isn't a gift, but God calls us to evangelism, which makes it a duty. And we fumble and mumble and bumble over our words and people cock their eyebrows at us like, what are you talking about? And you've just offended me, so I'm out of here. It does not change the fact that though there are those with the gift of evangelism, the whole church is called to the duty of evangelism as well. Another one, the gift of giving. There are those who, when it comes to material goods and money, things of that nature, God by the Spirit has just wired them. And they find no greater joy than just giving it away. Just, I want to give to my church. I want to give to my neighbors. I want to give to the homeless guy right here along the side of the street. I just want to give, give, because I have the gift of giving. But that doesn't change that the whole church is called to the duty of giving, the discipline of giving. And for some of us, it is like pulling teeth. It hurts. I don't like giving, but God has called me to give. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to give. With those two examples in place, recognize that the gift of singleness, you know you have the gift of singleness if you just kind of vibe there. You're just kind of settled. You just find yourself saying, you know what? I'm self-controlled physically, sexually, emotionally. I'm content. I'm at peace. My desires aren't driving after finding a husband, finding a wife. I'm actually very peaceful with me and Jesus and my friends, serving in my church, growing in intimate relationships at a friendship level with those that God has placed in my life. I'm good with this. That is the gift of singleness. And there have been many powerful Christians who remain single their whole life. One of the most influential ones of our generation, John Stott. John Stott. Uh, For you young theologians, you'll know who he is, or you should know who he is very soon. John Stott died as a single, and he proclaimed, "I, I carry the gift of singleness. The Apostle Paul said that he had this gift of singleness. For those of you that are single right now and don't have that gift, it's a duty. It's simply a duty. You are there, and you need to do singleness the way that God wants you to do it, because he's called you to do it in that way. And you know this morning that you have the gift of singleness or that you don't have the gift of singleness if you find yourself saying, the idea of staying alone, no, I want to be married, I want to have children, I want to do this. If that desire is there, God the Spirit has obviously not placed that gift in you, so you have the duty of being single in this next season. God says singleness is good. God gives singleness as a gift God's sovereignty establishes singleness. God's sovereignty establishes singleness. Number three. God's sovereignty establishes singleness. So what we're talking about here is if you don't have the gift of singleness, then God sovereignly has made you single. Here's what I want you to hear. Please hear this. He is the potter. You are the clay. You cannot say to the clay... You're doing the, or to the potter, you're doing this wrong. I think that you should shape me with a wife right now. You, you can't do that. You're the clay. He is the father. You are the son or the daughter. You can't say to the father, why did you have me? Why did you make me? The glory of Christian living is a life that is wholly submitted to Jesus as the potter. And in singleness, he sovereignly establishes those of you that don't have the gift. It is under his sovereignty. If God wants you to be married, you will be married. And you will be married in his time to who he wants you to be married to. 
We'll talk next week about how you find who that is if you're looking to get married. But God orders, God directs. And so it is a sinful, rebellious heart that says, I should right now. I better right now. God, you're withholding good from me. It's a lie to believe that God is not in control of your singleness and desiring you to be single. And so there are seasons of singleness that all of us have gone through or been a part of. We see that some singles are single because they're simply too young. And I don't just mean chronological age. I mean spiritual maturity. Uh, just this, this inability to fiscally, spiritually, emotionally mature. And, and it is really... Guys, brothers, at some point we may just need to do a gender-sensitive Sunday morning and let the wives sit out and let the gals sit out in the foyer with my wife and, and me in here with you guys. Because there's things that I think need to be said to you in ways that only can be said in such a way that you can hear it. And it is, it is make every effort to be a man of God. Repent of laziness, repent of apathy, repent of fear, repent of cowardice, repent of faithlessness, repent of lack of discipline, repent and grow up. Be who God wants you to be and don't waste your youth. Some are single because in their youth, they are too young to get married. They cannot handle a wife. They cannot handle finances. They cannot handle the discipline that it takes to be responsible. Some are single because they're widowed. And God has brought them into a season of singleness. Now, it's interesting because in 1 Corinthians 5, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul says very specifically that widows who are 60 and under should get remarried. We have a scriptural command. For widows that are, it's either 60 or 65. I can't remember. I'm blanking it right now. But first, first Timothy chapter five, check it out for yourselves. Widows who are younger than 60 or 65 should get remarried. But some of you are widows. And so God has sovereignly brought you into this singleness. Now, divorce is one of those quagmires. And if enough questions come up about divorce and remarriage, we'll probably devote an entire session to it. So be writing down your questions. I'd like to know if you guys would like a session on that. But divorce is one of those issues where God ultimately is even sovereign over our decisions, both sinful and right. And so with divorce, your, your singleness is in sovereignty right now. God was aware of that decision. God was aware of that split. God was aware that that would happen. And he has put you right where he is. The key for you when you're meditating on this as a single is that you begin to believe the truth. He withholds no good thing from you. Which means that God in this season is offering himself to you fully so that you can offer him to others fully. And so my exhortation to you would be, pray that the Holy Spirit strengthens you and satisfies you alone in this season. Meditate on that sovereignty. God, you're able to give, to do, whatever you want to do. She can come walking through the door right now with an angelic chorus behind her and a big booming voice that says, that's your wife and I'll get married. And if she doesn't today, you're sovereign. And you are not withholding good from me. You are giving all of yourself to me. So I want to submit to that and walk in that. And then finally, last slide. God says it's good. God gives it as a gift. God sovereignly establishes singleness. And then finally, God uses singleness as a gospel opportunity. Your identity is not single. It is saved. Period. The church has established, again, I think, to a fault, all of these weird identities. Um, we've got singles groups. We've got youth groups. We've got um, marrieds groups. We've got 
almost married groups. We've got married groups with one kid, married kids with married groups with two kids. We've got, we've got identities and groups for about everybody that you can possibly imagine. And we have purposely fought against that here at Taproot. We have purposely said, you know what? Your identity is saved, so get in a missional community. Your identity is saved, so your identity is not... You don't hang out with people that you're just in affinity with because you're all single. Go ahead and do that. Go to the bars. Go have fun. Go date. Go do what you do. That's awesome. But the primary structure of our church is the missional community, which is made up of singles. It's made up of old people. It's made up of young people. It's made up of black, white, Mexican, Asian. It's Our affinity is Jesus Christ, and our identity is this salvation. So get involved in a missional community. Then you're really rubbing shoulders with the rest of the church. And then your affinity groups will grow out of that. You can go off with your singles, go off with your youth groups. We are working on getting some youth stuff going, a youth missional community, but it would only be meeting maybe once or twice a month for events. And then we want to see our youth plugged into missional communities with older married couples and their parents. Doing it like the church to do it. So recognize this morning that it's a gospel opportunity in the sense that you get to establish your identity on your adoption in Jesus Christ. You get to establish your identity on the perfect work of Jesus in your place, on his death for your sin, and on his resurrection for your victory. You get to wholly focus on that. You get to wholly experience that in such a sweet and and unrestrained way. In fact, I would say, as I say there on the slide, that singleness should actually be one of the most fruitful seasons of your lives. It really should. It should be, singleness should be an opportunity for you to grow in ways that you could never imagine without the anxieties of worldly things wearing down on you and without anything to disrupt your focus on Jesus Christ. But along with that, this should be your most fruitful missionary time. Remember, this whole church is outwardly focused. We are looking for the people that are not here at the Sunday gathering yet. That's why we exist. We exist for those that aren't sitting next to us yet. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And as singles, man, you've got time. You've got energy. You've got access. You've got relationships. This should be your most one of the most fruitful missionary times in your life around your local mission calling in your workplace. You have time to devote to prayer and relationships and buying beers and coffee and all that you do with those around you to get into the culture and to bring them to Jesus Christ. So with all of that said, I want to pray for us. And then if there's any questions, this is going to be that awkward silence. And we're going to need to wrap this up. I'm only going to give us about five to six minutes so that Paul and the guys can get the place broke down this morning um, of, of questions. And I'll do my best to answer them. Pastor Jim is in here this morning. So we'll let him throw in on some of these as well if he has insight. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for the singles of our church. I pray that right now you would lift their hearts up, that they would know that their place is good that you give it as a gift for some of them, help them to discern that. And if it's not a gift, the duty is carried out with joy until you sovereignly establish them with their lifelong partner in this life. Father, we pray for gospel opportunities for our married couples and for our singles, that there would just be an outpouring of boldness and vision that next Sunday, Lord, we would see 25 new single people that were just invited here to come and learn about how to find a mate and how to go about biblical dating and courting and getting to know each other. And so we ask for boldness and we ask for grace. Uh, thank you, Jesus, that you lived and died for us and that we're safe in your spirit and safe in your 
wisdom and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We got about five minutes here. So any sort of questions that you would like to toss my way, don't be shy. David, speak real loud. It's a good question. So the young man, mature beyond his years, asks a very valuable question. Um, Why do you think that our culture is growing up slower? I'm just going to shoot off the cuff here. Um, Again, it's all anecdotal, and then I can back it up with some Wikipedia sociology. So (laughs) Uh, I would say one reason is, and we'll talk about this when we get to children, it's an idolatry of children. So mommy and daddy, rather than releasing the young one out into the world to be able to begin to grow and become their man, uh, oftentimes mom and dad make that little child their God, which means that that little child gets doted on, which is good. I dote on my children, poured into, I pour into my children. We all do. But to the degree where that little child is never able to express or grow in responsibility. And so because of an idolatry of children, And kind of a backwards mentality of parenting that our culture has really created where parenting in in our culture is pour into the children, don't bump the child. You know, I can remember when I was growing up, we rode around in the back of pickup trucks with no seatbelt with dad doing 50 down the freeway, right? Now you got to put two helmets on the kid and strap them into like three different types of car seats. And they're like locked in and restrained. Don't bump the kid. That's good. We want to protect our kids. But I think one of the reasons that our guys especially aren't growing up is because they're just, they're given opportunity by parents to be mama bared uh, for too long. And uh, I've watched this over and over and over. And maybe in in my own personal life, it just worked backwards because by the time I was 10, I didn't want mama bared. You know, I just, I can remember saying to my mom and my dad, I I am independent. By the time I was 13, I was in a lot of trouble. By the time I was 17, I was gone. And now at the age of 36, I'm finally beginning to realize the value of relationships with my mom and dad. And I'm calling them once a week and trying to get to know them better. But then I was around all of these guys where, you know, they're going home and mom's making them chicken soup at 28. And it's just, there's nothing wrong with having that relationship. But I think parents for you, I want to say it respectfully, but there's a level where you got to, you got to let your kids grow up. You got to let them take their bumps. When we get to raising children, we're going to do a session on Abraham. And Abraham had to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And I would say right now, precious mama and first time daddy, you're holding that little baby and he, she is amazing. And you're overwhelmed. Listen, for the grace of God in that baby's life, lay it up on an altar. That baby is God's and you're a steward. Um, Some other reasons, you know, that come to my mind is technologically speaking, we have lost a, a good work ethic. So this is going to sound so archaic, but a lot of guys just need to know how to get out and dig a hole and use their muscles and, you know, versus getting, you know, tendonitis in their thumbs from Xbox all day long, but actually, actually be able to get out and do, 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 do some real work, do some real production for men in particular. We were made to produce. We were made to see results. That's the way we're wired. And 
you know, I'm not attributing all of this to Facebook and Twitter and blogs, but I think that the technological revolution with all of its benefit and data transfer has caused all of us to grow great big pads on our buns and we're just sitting all day long. And there's this kind of lack of discipline. There's this lack of drive to produce because we can just do it on screen kind of telepathically or we can do it on screen by proxy. We live through Facebook. We live through these different identities. We live through these different people that are doing different stuff. So parental idolatry, lack of work ethic. Um, you know, it's a great question. I think, I think that'll cover it for now. And if I come up with some more, I'll email you. Doug. Oh. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'll, I'll microphone what Doug said. Doug's, he's right. Um, yeah, fatherless homes. Fatherless homes. And so what we see is a group of young men that were raised in a home where in some cases, the young men actually, in God's grace, become the men of the home. We have men in our church, young men in our church, that were raised by a mama who didn't have a daddy around, either widowed or divorced or whatever. And these young men actually, by God's grace, through one tough mama, became young men that were the men of the home. But in a lot of cases, what we see happen is there are no fathers in the home. And so they just kind of float through life trying to figure out what to do. And there's really no mentorship. Doug, that's a great point because I would say right here within our church, gentlemen, do you have a Timothy under your arm in this church? Do you have somebody that you, young men, are looking to and older men, do you have a group of guys, young guys, or just guys that are new in the faith or anybody in general that you are raising up and discipling? And and ladies, older ladies, teaching the younger ladies, the church should be this framework of developing these relationships where we're coaching one another, mentoring one another, giving each other pointers on where to go in life. So seek that out, young men, and older men seek out younger men. Good, good questions. Okay. Uh, I'll go here and then I'll go to Terry, okay? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. One thing I would add, he, the gentleman is talking about how there's this sense of exclusion and he's learning contentment. And I think that's a good word for, for all of the singles in this room. But for the married couples and for those of you that are missional community leaders, you really do have to fight against the affinity-based thing. You have to intentionally fight against that. So if you guys in here uh, are young, you have to intentionally fight against, I'm just going to hang out with all the young folks that are doing what I'm doing, have the same kind of life that I have. You have to intentionally engage. And so I would say look for singles. Uh, this brother over here, invite him into your missional community. Make sure that he becomes part of our family today. Uh, and that's your job. That's making sure that we're thinking across the spectrum of gospel identities and then walking in that, that contentment. Good. Okay. Terry, we've got time for like maybe two more questions and then we're going to wrap it up. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 We don't know how to look each other in the eye and, and have a good, have a good relationship, a good conversation apart from tweeting. Okay. Any others? Yeah. Jed, you're a cop. Put on your uniform. <laughs> Put that gun on your side and say, sit down, boy. We're going to have a talk. Uh, you know, Jed asks a really good question. He asked the discipleship question, which I trust the Holy Spirit is engaging all of you in. How do I talk to my, how do I talk to my buddies? And how do I engage them? I see these idols in their lives, and I see that it's obvious that they're miserable. So how do I actually engage them? And I would say, number one, uh, you, you love them. So you're not looking at a program here. You're not, you're not coming in with, you know, slide number one from this, this morning's gathering saying, I want you to understand that your values have shifted and you just start giving them all the statistical data. <clears throat> you're actually coming in and you're saying to them, uh, hey, you know, I, I, I would like to talk with you about this or really, if you're intentionally loving them, you're praying for them. And, and trust me, the Holy Spirit will bring up those conversations. Okay. So it begins with love. It begins with a non-programmatic. I got to figure out how to get the, the gospel into my buddy's life. You're just listening to the rhythms of their conversations and the rhythms of their hurt. And then I'm going to speak particularly to the men in this room. Men, I'm not saying you need to be crass and I'm not saying you need to be rude. But you do need to speak to men as men. Uh, gentlemen, we, we, we hear things bluntly, and we need to be told things bluntly. So, I mean, there are examples of men in this church where I suppose I could have sat down with them and said, you know, the way that you're treating your wife is just, it's not kind, and her feelings are being uh, crushed, and you're not leading her very well. And so you know, God wants you to be this type of guy. And the guy would sit there with his eyebrow cocked at me like, what, what are you trying to say? Or you can sit down with a guy like has been done in this church a number of times and say, you know what, man, you are almost 30 years old. You're acting like you're 13 years old. You're being a schmuck. You need to lead your wife. Quit being a jack. Do what you need to do. And all of a sudden they're like, did the pastor just say what I think he said? 
And all the guys are like, yeah, you know what? He's right. I do. I, I can't be a schlep the rest of my life. So Jed, I would say with your buddies, if they're truly your friends, you're able to just say, you want to know why you're so miserable right now? Let me just show you. And I'm not being high and mighty. I'm not being prideful. I just care about you enough to tell you straight up the truth. Um, with the gals, I would say men speaking to women, number one, there's a lot more finesse and a lot more gentleness and a lot more respect. And then you want to find a good trusted sister like your wife to say, hey, I, I know that you could sit down with my wife and talk about these things. But it's always, discipleship is always an invitation. Jesus was always inviting, come follow me, come follow me. And so discipleship happens when you're loving, you're being straightforward and you're always inviting. Come walk with me in relationship. Come have dinner with me and my wife. Come be part of our gathering. Come be part of our missional community. All right, we'll do one more and then, then we got to roll. Any other, any other questions here? Okay. Next week, um, we're going to close with one song this morning so that Paul and the guys can get everything out of here. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about biblical dating and courting. So all sorts of questions come up with that. How do you find the right one? Who is the one? Um, we'll deal next week with the question of singleness. How far can we go? That's often a question that comes up in dating. Um, we'll deal with um, the nature of guy-girl relationships within the church and within the culture. So I, I trust that you guys will be thinking through these things. I trust that they'll be helpful for you as they kind of give you some parameters to work through. But for this morning, why don't we all stand up and we're going to sing to Jesus. We're going to thank him for today and celebrate that uh, our God loves us and cares for us.